This is Peak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thanks for tuning in to this episode with Reddy. Reddy is a fascinating guy. He has a deep wisdom to share, and we discuss the power of play, being a lighthouse, shining that light, shining the energy, and being enthusiastic, escaping the over-analytical mind and tapping into our innate childlike wonder and wisdom and power exuding that energy that state that way of being that is play and we discuss different varying fields and ideas and meanderings and wanderings and we really play through conversation with our voice boxes and thank you for tuning in to allow our voice boxes play your eardrums and if you dig peak earth and would like to send back good vibes the best way to do so is a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, which will really help Peak Earth grow and reach more eardrums. And without any further ado, hope you enjoy this episode with Reddy. How, how are you? How's it going? Case, I'm so happy to be here, man. I, I just love seeing your presence on Insta and on Twitter. You know, there's this... I always feel like you're this, there's this kid playing on the beach, right? And there's this like... Every time there's this beautiful sea behind you, there's a golden beach under your feet and you're like spinning around doing cartwheels in the air. And I just love that vibe that you exude on Insta. And on, on Twitter, it's like, you know, there's a whole bunch of fun we keep having in all these conversations. We keep connecting on threads here and there. So, man, it's really nice to be able to see you in person and connect. And like, I'm so excited for this conversation. Same. And I'm, I'm also really connected, uh, excited to be connecting with you. We've been interacting back and forth and you've got a really unique energy and, and, and perspective and way of being creative in the world. And, and that's hard to find these days. I feel like you're, you're a treasure. So I'm, I'm excited to, to see, to learn more about you and, and just express this ourselves through, through conversations, see, see how it unfolds. Thank you, my friend. I, this is, you know, I, I'm really glad that what you're doing, you know, in the world, you have a, a clearly defined purpose and energy that you're exuding. And I feel like that's something that we all need because there's so much emphasis on the cognitive and the intellectual that, especially as an adult, right, that we tend to forget that the, the most primal thing is to just Play, is to physically connect, is to physically engage and interact with each other. I mean, conversations are wonderful. Like what we're having right now is amazing. But I, I, I would drop all of this if I could just fly down there in an instant and like, you know, both of us could just cartwheel for the next hour on the beach. And, you know, that would be like way more fun than just sitting here. But because we can't do that, this is like the second best thing. Right, but given a choice, I would rather be doing something. Maybe we're chasing each other around, climbing trees or swinging through the branches. That's the kind of stuff that I feel like all of us are missing. And, and you're you're doing that. You're keeping this example alive. You're keeping that aspect of you know being the human being, an adult living creature. Doesn't mean giving up that stuff. Doesn't mean that something that oh, I used to do that as a kid. But hey, I mean, like, you know, I got a business now. I got life to live. I got things to do. I got places to go. I got people to meet. So I can't really be seen doing all of that stuff. But you're doing it. And I'm so grateful for that. You're so on point with that the analytical cognitive mind that everyone gets stuck in. And then they apply that to their movement practice. They apply it to everything, including exercise, where they have to like go into a box called the gym. And then they like go onto a machine. And they do a certain amount of repetitions for a certain amount of sets of those repetitions. And they like log it in their book. And it's like, that's all fine and good if, if you enjoy that. But it, there is definitely, there's so much value to being able to tap into this other part of the mind and, and of life. And you definitely do that as well in a lot of different ways. I, I would love to learn more about, I guess, your your background or your story. I know you're, you're located in, in India currently. It seems like you're traveling around on, on a motorcycle. And what, what's going on? <laughs> Oh man, I have no idea what I'm doing in my life right now. And I think it's been like that since most of my life. Because I was one of those kids who, you know, turned out to be a juvenile delinquent. I went off the, you know, the straight and narrow. I, you know, 
kind of, I can't say I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks because I grew up in a very prim and proper, civilized, domesticated life, you know, family and all of that stuff. But I chose to just leave all of that aside and just run away. One of those Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry kind of stories, right? I wasn't actually Huckleberry Finn. I was more like Tom Sawyer because I actually had a family and I had support. But I chose to leave that all and just run away into the wild. And, and for most of my early youth, it was drugs, right? Like that was my connection to something beyond the intellectual. Because I, I was one of those kids who grew up like an intellectual. I was one of those kids who was very lucky. I was gifted. I had like parents who understood, like my mom understood the importance of intellectual, you know, knowledge and stimulation. So I was gifted books of all kinds from the earliest of ages. I had an uncle who was traveling the globe and he would get me books and comics and everything from across the world. I was really spoiled for choice when it came to like cognitive stimulation, right? I had it all the time and from all quarters. But I wasn't those kid. I, I wasn't one of those kids who wanted to explore myself physically. I was just like, ah, sports not for me. You know, I, I mean, in this world, I was more geeky and nerdy, and less nerdy perhaps, and more like you know, in my own world, I was just like more imaginative. But when I got that first whiff of a high, right, I knew this was it. I said, forget all that knowledge, forget all that stuff. That is nothing, nothing I have transcended, right? So I had this feeling like, wow, I'm in a world completely different from this world that everyone else is in. And this is ridiculous. Who wants to be a part of this material world? So that was my first, you know, escape from the intellectual, from the analytical, from the cognitive mind, the world. And... It also required me or rather enabled me to transcend the physical as well, which for me at that time was more of an excuse because I wasn't one of those kids who was physically active. I was one of those kids who was just like, you know, podgy and didn't really, you know, wasn't physically fit, wasn't like defined, wasn't, uh, wasn't even gifted. Or maybe I was, I just didn't know it because I hadn't even tried any of the stuff. And, uh, so yeah, everything that was physical in my life just came to me as more of a necessity because I was living on the wrong side of the tracks and sometimes I had to run from the law. Sometimes I had to like chase someone else to get my stash. So it was more of a necessity rather than a sport, rather than a pursuit, rather than a, a desire to grow as a physical athlete, right? But there was always that aspect of having to be on the move, hustling, running, chasing, being chased. That was kind of my only exposure to physical, uh, being physical, the physicalness. But I did realize the aspect of play in a sense that it's, it's beyond. I mean, it was spiritually exciting, the high, the physical challenge of running and chasing, getting your high the intellectual aspect of, you know, I mean, I was always still reading and intellectualizing in my head. I was just, oh, this philosophy, that philosophy, all of this was happening at the same time. It was all a whole bunch of hot air because, you know, you're stoned off your skull. The fuck do you know? <laughs> I have no idea what I'm saying. But yeah, man, I can't really differentiate the physical, the mental and the spiritual, though it appears as different and though we like to think of it as different, I think the younger we are, the less those separations actually are obvious to us, right? It's only the older we grow, then suddenly we're like, oh, I'm exercising this aspect of my being. I'm utilizing this aspect of my being. I'm chasing this aspect of my being, right? But the younger we are, like as a teen, I was like, you know, I would be talking stuff, but really everything, I, when I'm thinking something, I could be feeling at the same time. What I'm thinking, I'm feeling, what I'm feeling, I'm thinking, what I'm being is all of the thinking and feeling at the same time. I don't know. I mean, this just feels so hard to like put it as three, you know, as like, oh, this is with. <laughs> I love that. I love that perspective and that concept, just everything. All in all in one, we definitely, at least in in the in the West, there seems to be so much 
Adam Mystic thinking of dividing everything up and taking it apart when, yeah, you, you could look and say that it's it's all one thing and what an interesting way to look at it. And I guess through play, we're really kind of accessing all of them in a really, really powerful way. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of why I realized now in hindsight that I've been playing with my life from the get-go, right? I was always, and by playing, I mean, I was... I wasn't accepting what the norm was. I was trying to color out of the lines. I was trying to go out of the box. I was trying to push my own boundaries. I was seeking that edge. I was like always on that edge, right? And I feel like that to me was playfulness, right? That, you know, that desire to constantly explore that curiosity of what would happen if I try this drug? Okay. I know that it would possibly kill me. I know I could overdose. I know I could be addicted. I know I, you know, I have all these side effects that's going to hit me. But wow, what else could happen, right? There's this, there's this temptation. I mean, like we like to use the word temptation like it's something negative, and that it's something to avoid and something to run away from. But I, I wonder, right? I mean, like if I was one of those kids who who wasn't, uh, who didn't fall into drugs, who wasn't waylaid into drugs. I mean, I knew clearly because I had read about this stuff. I was, I would actually, I would look at it. Oh, I'm going to do heroin today. I mean, like, and then I look up the stuff. I mean, we didn't have the internet back then. I couldn't just go on to Wikipedia and look at the organic model of how the heroin molecule looks. But I still knew that, okay, if I go, if I do heroin, these are the side effects, this is what could happen to me, and right? I, I knew all of that stuff. But I still, you know, there was this compulsion of curiosity that, hey, I got to try this, right? I got to try this. I mean, like, and, and I wonder if that curiosity, like, is how people say curiosity killed the cat, right? And... I'm just lucky to be here today. I'm lucky to have survived that. I'm lucky to have gotten clean. I'm lucky to have stayed clean. So yeah, I mean, like I can take credit for all of that stuff. I can give credit to all the people who helped me. Sure, all of that. But really speaking, luck played the largest role in all of this. Not me, not the people who helped me out of that ditch, but primarily luck as well, right? And giving credit to that, that entity, larger aspect of whatever it is, God, a higher power, the universe, however each one of us likes to see it from our own, you know, tiny, teeny, weeny perspectives. I feel like playfulness is like the easiest way today for me to tap into that energy. Like if you and I were to like, we had no idea of what mindfulness is, but right now both of us do know we both experienced it. We both have pursued that level or we are pursuing, seeking that, you know, that higher aspect of relating and being but if we were both complete noobs and rank amateurs and we were like trying to explain mindfulness to each other it would be so confusing it would just be words you know you're trying to use the words that you know and we're trying to make cognitive sense of something that has nothing to do with cognition right and but if you if i and you will think of playfulness we immediately know what it is because all of us have been playful at some point in our lives we know what that feeling is, how that light bulb just clicks on when you're, when you're being playful, when you're in that flow state, when you're in that mode of, you know, rampant delight and playfulness. So I feel like this is one of those neutral territories that is dogma-free. There is no religious ritual taking you to that path, right? There's no specific... Uh, model designed by an individual that's taking you towards a certain spiritual level or outcome. This is one of those last uh, frontier-like lands which is unclaimed, untamed, right? Anything goes in the land of play. Nobody lays claim to it. It's not, oh, Reddy is taking us through this journey of play. No, fuck Reddy. Who the fuck is Reddy? Like, nobody even knows. But Everyone knows what play feels like. Everyone knows what playfulness is. Everyone misses it because they've already experienced it at some point in their lives. So I feel like this is why I'm constantly harping on play, 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 play. <laughs> Beautifully said. Wow. I really love 
that message and so many things come to mind. One really interesting curiosity that I have, and we'll go down a bit of a, an unknown trail here. I believe when most people hear the word play, what comes to mind is something childish, something like, I don't know, they're playing with action figures or, or they're sort of like, you know, playing a game in the backyard. And, and then that becomes almost the idea, oh, that's that's not for me. You know, I'm an adult. Like you mentioned earlier, people put that aside. And I would wonder how else could this energy be described if we weren't going to use the word play? What would be a way to sort of take a back door and open the world up to this energy that can be imbued in anybody at really at any moment? And it's such a light way of being in the world. How, how do you think it could be sort of represented in a way that that might be more approachable or accessible to the people who have closed themselves off to it? I don't know, man. Like, to me, I feel like the words high, fun, delight, uh, orgasmic, right? All of these come into play because there's this aspect of, um, like, fun is something that just comes up, everyone gets it, right? Like, like we're all chasing, like we ask someone, hey, why the fuck did you go and buy a brand new motorcycle? They'll be like, man, it's just fun. And you ask someone else, like, why the hell did you go climb the Himalayas? Oh, man, I just wanted to have fun, right? Like, that's one of the easiest things. Like, why the hell are you having an affair? You're just mad at it. You can't be doing that. Like, even that, the answer usually is fun. So it's a very... uh it's an interesting word because the way you see it, it can be innocent, it can be mischievous, and it can also be malicious, right? Because if you look at it, most of us watch comedy and we love slapstick, right? In, in the older days, it was physical slapstick, right? These days, I don't know, it, it's interesting to see how society has moved where we don't really laugh at physical slapstick comedy anymore i don't know it doesn't seem very popular but we love seeing other people being humiliated and put down so they're not actually slipping on a physical banana peel and falling down on their asses and making a fool of themselves but we're watching comedians put people in the audience down we're watching some of them put themselves down like self-depreciating humor and that seems to me like, you know, that's, again, it's almost like bordering on, you know, mischief and malice. There's this fine line that I like to use because play to me again is that it's this open space where nobody is actually being a chaperone, right? And there's a very fine line between the playground and the battleground, right? It's a very fine line. And the idea of, the Buddha and the bouncer, right? You have this playground. How do you keep the bad elements out? You can just be the bouncer and say, I'm not going to let you into the playground because you've been hurting other kids, right? Or you can be the Buddha and say, come on in. I see that you like to hurt others to get your kicks, up, right? That's how you like to have fun by watching other people not have fun, right? Now, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's, you know, contemplate on this. Let's see how you can find compassion rather than cruelty as your way to elevate yourself, right? So, again, you're not saying, the Buddha isn't telling this person that you're evil, you're bad. You're not going to be allowed in the playground. Play is not for you because you're a bad guy, right? I mean, like, I don't want to do that. We don't want to do that because... That's the easy way out. That's the bouncer way out. You just put up this barrier of entry to the playground that you got to be a good kid. Only then you're going to get to play, right? If you're a bad kid, we don't let you play. But I feel like this is one of those last bastions, like I said, where there is no boundaries. There are no boundaries. There are no limitations. There is a really low floor and there's a really high ceiling. Even in the physical arts, like when you're playing, when you're doing those cartwheels on the on the beach, like, you know, it really like, that's the reason I tried that out because I realized it's a very low floor. Anyone can do it, right? That, that's why I was so excited to do it. And I was so amazed that it just happened. 
like the very first time I tried it, I was like, oh, wow, it just happened. Right? And the very next time, of course, <laughs> it didn't happen. But, but that was the best part of it. Like, play has such a low flow. Any one of us can do it at any time, in any place, with anyone. Right? And once you get into that space, then the rest of the stuff comes in. Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this good? Is this bad? Is this helpful? Is this hurtful? Is this harmful to me? Is this harmful to others? Is this helpful to me? Is this helpful to others? But getting into the playground is vital for every single one of us. And none of us should hold ourselves back or be pushed away from the playground just because we're not good enough or because we are too bad to fit into the rest of the world. So, I don't know, man. I mean, like, coming back to the original question, it's like play, fun, delight, joy, happiness, orgasm, all the good stuff, all the positive stuff. Again, that good positive stuff can have these, you know, malicious undertones to it. I'm not negating that that won't happen and cannot happen. But I feel like by actually acknowledging that those are aspects of playfulness, right? By even saying that an, a psychopath is actually playing, right? Maybe it's harming others. Well, maybe no, it definitely is harming others. And of course, it is harming him as well in the process because, you know, that level of cruelty is also doing something to the person inside it's changing his psyche it's hurting him he doesn't realize it or maybe he realizes it but he's compelled he's in that state of compulsion where he can't stop himself right he's on that hedonic treadmill that he can't stop himself anymore right and i feel like creating this playground is a way of saying hey man come on in you know let's start playing maybe you'll hurt yourself maybe you'll hurt me maybe i'll hurt you maybe you'll hurt yourself you know wait we're in this together. Let's start figuring it out. Let's start playing together. And here's where players with more experience come in. The idea of the MVP, the most valuable player. What do you think the idea of a most valuable player is in the playground where we're not talking about sport, where there are rules and roles and regulations and we're trying to get better at what we're doing, but just the childlike, kindergarten-like playground where we're just playing. There is no outcome. Nobody really cares if we're getting better or not. In such an environment, what do you think, or uh, how would you think we decide who the most valuable player is? Whoever is most able to kind of lose themselves and be in the moment and live within that spirit, to embody it. Right? Exactly. And that, exactly what you said, is, is a lighthouse. That player becomes most valuable because, not because he's the best, but because he is enamoring, he is inviting, he is inciting, he is inspiring, he is instigating everyone else who's sitting on the bench, hesitant to enter the playground. They're scared to enter the playground. They're awkward to enter the playground. Watching that most valuable player having the time of his life is the impetus they needed to jump into the playground, right? Not the guy who's so good at the game that he's intimidating everyone and saying, oh man, I can never play like that dude. Forget about it. I'm not getting into the playground. No freaking way. Look at that. In front of that guy when he's in the field, there's no way I'm getting anywhere close to that stuff, right? Now that guy according to me, in the playground isn't actually the most valuable player. The most valuable player is the one you described, the guy who's having such a ball of a time and it's so obvious that he's just oozing delight that it inspires me sitting there on the benches wondering whether I should just jump in or not or just watch here and clap every now and then. And I'm like, fuck it, he's having so much fun, I want to go jump in as well. Which is how I feel when I see you cartwheeling on the beach. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to share and, and the the movement itself that I that I really love doing it is called a macaco so otherwise known as a monkey flip it's like a backwards cartwheel where you have your momentum going backwards and for, it's not quite a backflip but for a moment you feel sort of like everything's going upside down for you but then your <laughs> hand is there and your body flips back over it and it's 
looks a lot more intense than it is with a little bit of practice. It becomes much more fluid and, and doable. But the cartwheel is definitely another one that everyone is familiar with, which is also very doable. And I'd say even the lower, easier, more accessible way to play with the body that I really enjoy is something like balance. So just getting on one leg and kind of moving around. You don't exactly know. Are you going to lose your balance? Are you going to maintain it? It's, <laughs> it's such an easy, like simple way to microdose play, if you will, you know? Yeah, man. I love that. Like, it's interesting if you think of it, the adult is obsessed with trying to find balance in life, right? Like, oh, I need to balance my work and life. I need to balance my career and my relationships. I need to, you know, focus on all of this stuff and maintain that ideal balance, right? I need to make sure my mind is not too warped, right? You're constantly, we're trying to stick to that, that straight and narrow as the ideal, that normal, I want to be a normal human being and I can't be too deranged, I can't, you know, I can't go full retard. Like we're constantly trying to find that balance. And the amusing thing is kids are doing the exact opposite thing. Like the moment they're able to walk on two feet, they're like, fuck, this is boring. I mean, like, oh, fuck that. I want to like spin over. I want to flip over. I want to fall on my ass. Right. And like, and even if there's a straight and narrow path, I mean, it's all proper. They're just going to imagine something imaginary and try to walk on that. And like, you know, imagine they're walking on a tightrope, even if there's just, you know, <laughs> it's just a normal road. Right. Like we, as kids, and I feel like that's 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 the magic we're missing. man. I mean, that's probably another word you can actually use. It's magic. It's imagination. All of these words come back into the picture. Like, I don't even need to be on a tightrope. I don't even need like a thin pole to walk on. I can just imagine. Right. Like this floor right here under me, I can just imagine, oh, the floor is lava. What are we going to do? Oh, my God, don't. You're going to get burned. <laughs> We are missing all the music, the most powerful tool. I mean, I laugh when I see people talking about, oh, AI is going to do this, AI is going to do that. I'm like, it's in here already. How the hell are you not amused about this stuff? Can you not believe it? You just have to close your eyes and imagine, and you could be anyone you want to be. You could be anywhere you want to be. You could be with anyone you want to be. All you have to do is imagine it. How is it that AI amuses you all of a sudden? You've been with that stuff all your life. <laughs> yes, it, it makes me think of this idea that landed in mind where we've got AI, artificial intelligence. What's the opposite of that? IA, imagination <laughs> activated. And it, I'll, I'll, I'll put my money on imagination all day. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you got to tweet that out. <laughs> I need to retweet that one. Oh man, I'm so grateful to see you drawing those images every time someone posts something AI. <laughs> oh, that was so much fun. I, I mean, look at that stuff. Like every time, you don't know, I think it was Picasso who said that, right? It took me only five years to learn to paint like the masters. But it took me a lifetime to paint like a child, right? And if you study the progression of his art, you know, it grows into this perfect, masterful, realistic painting, then slowly comes back into this completely rudimentary, cubist, childlike, you know, just like a child with a crayon drawing all over the floor, all over the wall. That's how his artwork eventually came down to. And it's it's amazing because that's what we're all looking for. We want that freedom to create without being bound by a certain expectation, whether it's internal, like, oh, I must do the best I can possibly do because I this is me. This is, you know, so powerfully obsessed by this idea of my own identity that I can't let myself down. I can't, you know, be lesser than who I am, right? Or there's the other extreme where it's all about the world. What will the world think of me? What will my friends think of me? What will my family think of me? What will my loved ones think of me, right? What's the world going to think? What's the critic going to say? Like, 
And, and the child here just doesn't give a fuck. Gets up in the morning, pulls out crayons, finds a wall, starts doodling everywhere. Doesn't care if, you know, did I make 100 perfect drawings? Did I make 25 of them? Doesn't even count. Doesn't even care if it's going up on his portfolio. He would be, the child would be the happiest to gift you, you know, a kiss and ready, just walk by and the child's like, hey, you guys look like you could do with one of these. Here's my latest drawing. Have a nice day. Right? Such selfless, loving, giving energy, such playful prolificity that the child is not afraid of creating the whole imposter syndrome that all of the creators need to take a $5,000 course to be able to overcome something called imposter syndrome, <laughs> which none of us had as kids. Where did it come from? And why do we need someone else to get rid of it for us? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is wild. And just the concept of, of creativity that I think that links up pretty well with, with play as well. We're sort of being creative to create fun. It's like, let's create fun together. And we're doing it on this, this podcast. It's we're, we're playing on a podcast, the way musicians play on a stage. We're using our voice boxes to play the symbols in our mind to generate words. And that's one way that a lot of people play is, is in conversation. But I think most people fall into the trap of thinking they can only really play like with drugs and that's often with alcohol. I know you have some experience um, with drug use as well. Do you think that was maybe an outlet for, for play like a dark, a dark, a shadow sort of aspect of, of play that a lot of people get, get trapped into? Yeah, man. I think in my case, like I wasn't, I wasn't one of those kids who needed the drugs to open up, but I think it was the actual opposite. I was just, too hyper right and the drugs would actually sedate me to the level where i was palatable to society right society would would be like okay cool now this dude is a is okay i mean like this is fine like otherwise this guy is too freaking hyper i can't handle it now that i'm stoned on my skull like you know i'm like i'm like the chill guy and everyone likes me now because Without the drugs, I'm like this hyper dude who's always like running around creating chaos and like, you know, and everyone's like, no, man, not this guy again, right? So, <laughs> so for me, I mean, that's probably why my drug of choice was heroin, right? I mean, like I did everything under the sun, but it just seemed like I would always gravitate back towards heroin because it was just, it was just the thing that I needed to do that there was just so much play in me that sedating that because i felt like oh this is just too much for the world the world can't handle me at my rawest realist self right and i feel like people could be coming from the other extreme they may be like oh my god i'm so scared to say anything the world may not accept me and then you know a few lines of coke later you're like screaming off the rooftops you know you're like Oh, listen to me, you motherfuckers, right? And like, you have all the confidence in the world and the world is just waiting for you, like the Messiah, come out there and just tell us what to do. Oh Lord, we've been waiting for you for years now. So I think it's just, that's, it's just one of those things that breaks the barriers of that self-consciousness, right? And, and it, it's something that, none of us are born with we aren't born with that self-consciousness it's it's socially induced it's it's conditioned by our environments right we're nurtured into that particular persona that we eventually become right and i feel like the playground is a place where we can play with our personas play with our identities mold it a little it becomes a little more in the in the regular world in the world around us these identities harden right they crystallize i mean like this is this is an ego this is me ready here is an ego is this character this persona everything that i'm you know is 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 my ego i mean it's something i need to survive it's like this little shell right it's a little shell i mean it's something that i need to survive in the world outside but the more dependent i become on this shell the more it crystallizes and the less I can feel free. And I realize that 
the shell that I put on to protect myself is now hindering me from being myself, right? And the playground is one of those places where I can lower the guard or I can let the ego become softer, more malleable, more understanding, more lovable, right? And become more pliable and giving and rather than this rigid character who's just like walking around there. And I'm now more pliable, I'm now relaxing, I'm enjoying myself. You know, it's fun to poke holes in each other. It's fun to be, you know, pushed and pulled around a little bit. I don't get, you know, too uh, taken aback by anything that's happening. Neither do I become rigid and bullying everyone else to do my bidding, right? I feel like that's the beauty of this playground. We have a space to interact with each other. Different mediums, different arts, different crafts, different physical practices, all of us, all of these give us this medium to play with. But even there, we get so obsessed by the medium itself that we forget that the medium was just there for us to experience this magic. Right? A lot of times, especially because people start taking it so seriously. It's like, oh my God, this practice is so important to me. It's so powerful. It's helped me so much. I have to, you know, that reverence to the path becomes the hindrance on the path. That's deep, man. I'm curious. Would, so you're, you're currently located in, in India. Just to bring this conversation a little bit more um, rooted, I'm, I'm curious, really curious, because I've never been there. You're certainly incredibly brilliant, sharp, wise man with, with a lot of great perceptions and, and ideas. What was, what is the path been like for you over there? What, what is it like in India where, where you're from and have you traveled a lot around the world? I know none of these are like a lot of questions in one, but just, just my, my curiosity bubbling up. Man. So I, I actually, um, left home at 16 and I just started backpacking across India. Right, like I, I pulled out a map of the country and I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I stood on the highway, I started hitchhiking, you know, and I would just travel from one place to the other. And I said, I was like, the truth is, I grew up in India. I'm an Indian. I was born Indian, but I, I grew up in a city. I, I was born in a city, and I, I, I literally grew up speaking English. I don't even know my native language. I mean, I can barely understand it. I can barely speak it. Because I just grew up speaking English and, you know, we're just one of those urban kids who grew up as Western as any other <coughs> American or European across the world. It's ridiculous. I mean, like, okay, the color of our skin is brown, but like we think the same, we've grown up on the same influences. I grew up reading the same comics, watching the same shows. Maybe the cultural influences aren't as strong because I didn't actually grow up in that environment. But the pop culture influences were as real and as impactful to me as for any other white-skinned kid growing up across the world, right? So the moment I turned 16, I was like, this is shit. I can't be growing up like this. Like, I need to get out there and see the India that, you know, that this country really is. So I just threw everything aside and I just decided I'm going to, like, hitchhike across the country. And I did that. I lived across the country in different places. I mean, I was just making my way through. I had no proper means of survival. I would just sleep anywhere, live anywhere, live with anyone, do anything. All the while I was getting high, of course. <laughs> that was like a big prerequisite. <laughs> but yeah, man, I mean, like I start. I, I was living in the Himalayas. I was trying, I was trying to meet uh, monks, I was trying to meet sadhus, I was trying to relate and connect with how, what is this higher path that everyone's seeking and talking about, right? Like that curiosity was the primal factor. Sure, I was doing, I was, you know, I was living the whole hedonistic lifestyle, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, all of that stuff, but there was this constant calling, like, What's really out there? Why the fuck is everyone so obsessed with that? Why the fuck am I obsessed with that shit? Right? I mean, like, it's constantly drawing me there. I would be, I would be lost in the hills. I would be, like, you know, rescued by someone living in a cabin, log cabin in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, someone would rescue me. And there was this constant um, obsession with, you know, finding myself in higher and higher situations. But I still 
refused to commit to a discipline, right? I had the opportunity. I was lucky. I was gifted to meet, you know, really enlightened, liberated beings. But I would always at the last minute just run away when it came down to committing to a discipline, to a tradition, to a specific art or craft. And, you know, there was this, I don't know why, I don't know, man. I mean, this is still something, and I think like that's, again, what I'm doing today. I don't, I, that's why I probably, that's probably why I've chosen like play because it's just so wide. It doesn't narrow down its focus. I'm not saying like right now, like you said, we are playing with words on this podcast. We're playing with thoughts. We're playing with ideas. We're playing with personalities. Excuse me, but I'm, it's, it's one of the things I do. I could also play physically. I could also play intellectually. I could also play spiritually. If you say, let's do some breath work, I'll call it, okay, I'm in it. Okay, cool. As long as I can call it breath play, I'm in, right? And I'll be sitting there huffing and puffing and doing all of this stuff with you. But I don't know. I, I feel like, or maybe this is it. Maybe I'm just here to play the part of the joker and maintain that little space where you realize the importance of what you're doing, but at the same time, you realize the importance of being irreverent towards that. Right? That little edge of disrespect, respecting something is important, is vital, at the same time, having a little bit of that healthy disrespect towards that very same thing is equally important to grow because it's very easy to get you know, bound and caught in any practice, in any pursuit without that little bit of irreverence. And, and I feel like the West is or was irreverent towards the practices of the East. But because they were irreverent in the past, they kind of like, they go to the opposite extreme and they become, you know, so reverent towards it that then they, they take it so seriously that they can't, you know, look back and look at the flaws. And we see a lot of people, you know, paying the price for that, right? And then it's easy to say, oh, that was a cult-like thing and I got swept into it. But it really wasn't a cult. I mean, like, everything is a cult. At the end of the day, any practice is a cult any movement, anything needs a powerful, strong leader if you need to be able to hold it in place strong enough that that portal to another world is kept open, right? It needs that level of powerful energy, cult-like energy, if you're going to keep a portal open into another world, right? And if you're saying we don't want that kind of energy, then you're not going to be able to keep that portal open because that kind of a portal needs that kind of an energy to keep it open. Right? So here, I didn't want to be one of those people who would commit to any one of these things. So maybe that's why I'm still around, still hesitant to commit to any one practice or any one craft or art. But at the same time, I want to like stay out here. I feel like I'm one of those people who isn't on the path because I'm here just dancing around, pointing different parts to people and saying, hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do this? As long as you're doing something, it's all good, but just do it, right? But I myself haven't walked down a path committedly, despite the fact that I'm practically halfway through my life. I'm almost 40, 43 now, so like that's, that's pretty old for a dude. <laughs> <laughs> that, re that, that resonates with me a lot um it's difficult to commit to a path when there are so many amazing ones and, and so many disciplines that add a lot of value to life and, and enrich life in such a great way and i believe just based on what you've shared so far this is a really important message and a really powerful one and, and one that's very necessary in a time where there's so much darkness and, and people are, can be mired in that and lost in that and, and stuck in this analytical mind and, and, and in this narrowed sort of tunnel vision of the way the world works. And you're inviting in this whole other world of unlimited possibility. And, and that's incredibly powerful. So I, you know, 
I don't know exactly what to make of that. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I really don't know myself. I mean, like, I feel like that's, it's, and I'm not like, you know, I don't know. I don't feel hesitant. I don't feel awkward. I don't feel under accomplished. I don't feel like, oh my God, my whole life has been a waste. Because right now I am playing with the idea that a physical, full-grown adult human male can actually live life without a purpose. Do I have a purpose? Do I want to help people? Maybe, maybe not. What if I hurt someone? That's fine. Everyone makes mistakes. What if I don't help anyone and my entire existence has been fruitless and, you know, useless? That's fine. You know, it doesn't, nothing. I mean, this whole planet is going to explode sooner or later. This solar system, the, the sun that we're spinning around is going to implode sooner or later. And who's keeping track of what use, which planet was in the grand scheme of the universe, right? Like, so I, I have no guilt. I could die right now with no accomplishments to my name and I wouldn't bat an eyelid and say, damn it, I should have done something when I had the chance. No, I mean, like, it's okay. It's not so bad. And I feel like this lightness of being, this levity is really important because I, I see a lot of people out there taking life too seriously. Either it's a seriously in the material sense of things. They're like, you know, I need to make sure my company employs a hundred thousand families and takes care of their livelihood. I want to make sure that my company, you know, saves half the planet, you know, or, you know, it could be just a purely material goal of, you know, like, I want to make a million bucks, I want to make a zillion bucks, I want to make a gazillion bucks, right? I want to be the world's most famous dude, I want to be the richest guy on the planet. You have all these material goals. You have these spiritual goals. People are like, oh, I want to make sure that I save at least a thousand Ghanaians who are starving and who don't have any money. I want to go to Ethiopia and save people. And it's fine. It's all good. I mean, if you don't have these lofty goals, it's okay. If you do have these lofty goals, great, good for you. But achieving them is awesome. Not achieving them is not in the negative, right? But that life purpose becomes so overpowering, overbearing, such a burden that people wake up every morning thinking, oh my God, I have to save the planet. Oh my God, I have to save the planet. Damn, dude, that's a lot of fucking pressure. <laughs> I mean, I love what you're doing. Like you just go out there and you pick up, a, you pull up the bag, you clear trash from the beach, right? And you're like, okay, so I've been like this many, you know, bags of thing has been cleared. It's awesome, man. That's great. But if you wake up one morning and you go through the whole day and you haven't cleared a single bag of trash from the beach, that's perfectly fine as well, right? And if you are the kind of guy who can maintain that levity and say, hey, man, I saved the world today. That's awesome. Pat yourself on the back and say, that's good. And, you know, tell people about it. Why not? And, you know, maybe you inspire others to do the same. And if you don't, that's perfectly fine. Maybe you don't get to pat yourself on the back, but you don't have to freaking stab yourself in the back for that. Man. <laughs> right? You see that? You see a lot of people doing that, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it comes to like trying to be, trying to get healthy or be healthy, you know, that's a big one where it's like, you know, there's so much backstabbing, self-imposed backstabbing going on where it, it's such a playful practice for me. All, the more I integrate play in every aspect of, of reality, the better it gets. Like if I'm trying to eat healthy, I'm, I'm cooking and just playing in the kitchen to incorporate different foods that are, that are nourishing so that I'm, I'm not, you know, eating, eating the foods that are going to be deleterious to my health from, from this shadow aspect of play. Like, oh, I need stimulation where suddenly it becomes all kinds of candy or um, food that you're getting out at a restaurant because it's like stimulating because you aren't, you know, playing in the kitchen. It, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's really, it's really deep and interesting, this, this idea of play and creativity and there was this book I read called called Watiko. It was a, about a, a soul sickness, a spirit sickness, where it affects people who aren't being creative. They aren't, they aren't playing. They're they're 
they're sick on a, on a soul level. And, and that's a, I found that a fascinating concept because we're familiar with mental illness, physical illness, but spiritual illness is kind of like, oh, that, yeah, I, I kind of do see that everywhere all around me. Yeah. And in, 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 in like, you know, I, I came out of the whole uh, addiction thing through, you know, one of the mediums of help that I got was from the 12 steps of Narcotics Anonymous. And one of the things they speak about is that there's no chemical solution to a spiritual problem, right? So we kind of refer to the addiction itself as a spiritual problem, right? This craving, this lust for more, 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 and the, the substance as a chemical solution that we're using to supposedly, you know, resolve that spiritual problem that we have, right? And so I, I resonate with what you're saying. Like, it, it really is. I mean, if you look at it deeper, a lot of the things that we're labeling as mental illnesses are essentially spiritual problems, right? They're not really mental illnesses because it's, it's deeper than the mind because I'm completely off my mind. If I'm completely off my mind and I'm not even using my mind anymore, how is it a mental problem? It's deeper than that, right? I mean, it's going way beyond the cognitive because if you say that you have a cognitive problem and if it's like you have a problem with the computer and then you switch off the computer and it's still giving you a problem, then it's obviously it's not a problem with the computer. There's something, there's something more to this stuff, right? Like, so I feel like it's the same with thinking of things as merely a mental problem. The symptom could be representing in, in the way you think, right? right, wrong, deranged, retarded, regardless of how far or deep or wide along that spectrum you're playing. But it's definitely the core, the root cause of it is beyond the mental aspect of it. And I feel like, that's why I feel like, you know, going back to that space where the body, the mind, the spirit, not thinking of them as three separate entities to focus on, but rather just playing in a way where eventually each one of them comes into the picture. Like I may be like, dude, I don't want to play anything hardcore physical like you. That's fine. Just come out and sit with me on the beach, right? Maybe I'm rolling in the sand. Maybe you just like to sit there and build sand castles. It's perfectly fine, right? But you're still out there. We are still around. We may not even be playing with each other, but there's still that spatial element of inhabiting the same universe together. That's really powerful, man. And that's something that we're, we're missing out on. We feel like, dude, we went to the beach. You weren't even playing with us. It's perfectly fine. You were at the beach with us. That's a big win, right? We're missing out on all of these small wins, right? Like just being together. You don't even have to be in the same frame of mind. You may be pensive and contemplative and sitting there building the sand castle and, you know, thinking of something that went wrong in your life or something that you want to go right in your life, all that's happening. And, you know, another friend is just like spinning cartwheels around, happy, exuberant, perfectly fine. I mean, like that person doesn't have to calm down and sit down with you. You don't need to amp up and go there and spin in the air with him. But the fact that you are both, that we are both sharing the same common environment, touching those same elements, right? Feeling the same sun on our backs, you know, same breeze hitting our faces, the same sand under our feet. That's a powerfully uniting aspect of healing, right? And maybe your strong, powerful, vibrant energy is helping me, right? Rise from my soft, slow, deep, contemplative space helped me even come out of it, right? Because I could very easily get caught in that rumination and just spiral downwards instead of uplifting myself through contemplation, right? And the other guy might just get so freaking high on that, you know, that upbeat, amped up, cooked up like energy and just go off rocker, right? Doesn't want to like calm down at all, right? Maybe my contemplative space is actually allowing that person to also find some sort of a balance in his or her life. So I feel like just sharing the playground is a very powerful way of finding harmony and unity between us. 
right? We don't even need to play the same games, but just being in that same playground is a really powerful, cathartic, you know, space to be in. And I feel like this is something that I want to do. I just want people to enter the playground. Man, it's okay. Don't play. No one's forcing you, right? And you feel like playing, play. You don't feel like playing, don't play. If you feel like playing rough, go for it, right? If you feel like playing dirty, hey, well, you know, everyone has their days, right? But you know how it is. Some days you get the bear, some days the bear gets you. <laughs> but the longer you stay in the playground, all of this evens out, man. That's the beauty of it. Just stay in the playground. It all evens out. Right? The bully realizes, oh man, someone else can believe me too. The longer you stay in the playground, everything finds that state of harmony and bliss, that state of homeostasis. All we need to do is just get into the playground. And I don't know how to do that, but I feel like just like this is just me being an example of everything that I want to talk about, everything that I'm speaking about. I'm just being that example. It's the best I can do. Yeah, it's true. And I, I really appreciate the way that you express and share this message as, as well. Um, a, few things, a few things came to mind. One was the concept of religion, I guess, which would be maybe how many people relate to spirituality and how they're so unplayful. Un, un, they seem like, I wonder, have you ever thought about like creating your own religion based around the concept of play? Like, what, what would that look like? <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, like, in a way, that's, that's what a lot of people have been expecting me to do. They're like, hey, you know, like, when's the playbook coming out? I mean, like, it's like, that's exactly what, like, you know, it's interesting because I come from India, right? And, like, the, the deeper I travel through India, the more I realize that we don't really have a freaking religion. Like, it's easy to call it Hinduism and just, you know, slap this big-ass label on one you know, one swath of label across the entire region. But the deeper you travel through, you realize it's one decentralized, chaotic, peer-to-peer or player-to-player experience. It's like everyone has their own unique spin on things. We have like 3 million gods, right? Like how on earth are you going to like, there really is, I mean, it's, it's almost like this whole way of consolidating it is just to appease the, the simpler mind that finds this sort of diversity and uncertainty appalling and scary, right? So just by putting one blanket label on it, it's like, ah, okay, okay, you guys are Hindus, that's Hindus, and like you have, you know. So it's 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 like that's what religion does. It's kind of like dumbs shit down. Like you know, I feel like a lot of this stuff is like how parents talk down to their kids, right? Like. Parents are always like dumbing things down to kids. Like, oh, you're not going to understand that. Like, dad, dad, what just happened? Did Nana die? Did Granny die? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, She's just gone somewhere. She'll be back in a while. Or maybe she won't. Like, you know, it's such a weird thing. Why don't you just freaking say, hey, look, you were born three years ago. And same way, Nana was born like 97 years ago. And now she's gone. Right? So that's what happens to us. We come, we go, we're born, we die. <gasps> no, you can't be saying that to kids. You gotta dumb it down. You gotta put it in a way that, you know, doesn't hurt them. It's, you know. So I feel like that's what religion does. Like that, it's used to help people overcome their fears. Right? I mean, it's so scary. Like, if I tell the same thing to an adult, what's gonna happen when I die? Oh, uh, well, uh, you'll go to heaven, don't worry, it's all going to be fine. I mean, like, as long as you've been a good kid, I mean, like, you know, it's all fine. Like, you know, you were good every year, Santa comes and gives you a gift. Same way, God's going to give you something good when you go up there. Maybe you'll get a cup of hot chocolate, depends on how good you've been. Maybe you'll get your favorite mocha. I don't know, man, do you really need that stuff? I mean, like, maybe you do because you're so scared and because... We're so scared because we don't play enough. We're not exploring the edges of the playground enough. We're not pushing our boundaries and limits enough, right? And it's never enough. You don't have to become an adrenaline junkie and constantly push the edge every single day. But you can still 
move around the playground. You can stay in the safer spaces, the center of the playground where things are safer and but you can also venture into the edges of the playground where things are risky, where it's dangerous, where the players are hostile, where, you know, consequences are, are more real, right? And if that gets scary, it's cool. Come on back to the center, right? The players are nicer here. The, they follow the rules. Everyone plays nice, right? Things are fine. It's safer here. You have friends here. That's fine. And I feel like, that center of the playground is what religion offers. It says, come in here, enter the church, everyone's going to be nice to you. Go to a mosque, they're all your friends and they're all going to be like, oh, you're one of us, dude, it's all cool. Come here, we got your back, right? It's, it's almost like that. It's just it's offering you this safe space because you're just so freaking scared of life, right? If you weren't so scared of life, you wouldn't need a religion. Because you're so scared of this moment, this here, this right here, this right now. You can't bear the thought of being in absolute silence with yourself in this moment, not knowing what's coming tomorrow, not, you know, not having a clue what life can bring your way. Then you need that religion. You need that safety net you need that and again it, it's a supposed safety net it's an illusion it's what we tell kids it's like don't worry i'm gonna take care of you don't worry everything's gonna be fine don't worry i'm here come on we all know that right i mean like if you were such a powerful dude you'd be a god if you could guarantee your kid that everything in life is going to be fine man you're not a human you're not a dad you're not a mom you're just a god you can, you know, snap his fingers and make life go the way he wants it to go. But that's not the case. So I feel like I don't want to offer that false sense of safety in the playground. I want people to come into the playground and I'm, and I'm saying, hey, what makes a playground a playground and not a battleground is the aspect of safety. But this safety is not something I guarantee you as the person who's bringing you into the playground, it's something that you have to find for yourself. You need to discover your own level of safety, that minimum, you know, viable safety for yourself. What's your minimum effective dose of safety that you can, you know, find for yourself? And what's the maximum tolerable dose of danger that you can expose yourself to before breaking down, before going into some sort of a trauma before experiencing a breakdown, right? But I don't want to be the guy who's saying, hey, I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to help you. I don't want to be that because I feel like that's exactly what we've been doing to kids all along. And I don't think that's really helping. It's, we're just making kids softer, more fragile, more, you know, incapable of defending themselves protecting themselves and just surviving the vagaries of life. And these vagaries of life aren't meant to challenge us or test us. They're just, they're just fun challenges, man. They're just like, they're just like puzzles for us to play with, right? The worst of things that happened to me in my life till today, and I've been through shit. I've been through shit for most of my life. I go through shit every now and then when I go and throw myself in a crazy adventure in the middle of nowhere. I could, you know, I could die of exposure. I could die of acute mountain, you know, illness. I could, you know, anything. I could get asphyxia. I could freeze. I could like drown in freezing waters. And I'm throwing myself in these situations. Why? Because it's fun, right? For me, it's fun because it's like, damn, I almost freaking died, right? And I, I want to feel that. Look at any little kid, pick up a little child and throw them up in the air and they're like, ha, 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 ha. and you catch them back and bring them back. And then they're like, for a second, they're still in shock, right? And then they're like, ha, 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 ha. do that again, do that again, right? You know what I'm talking about? That's yes. what we're here on this freaking planet for, man. We're here to get those feelings. And if I'm just going to, you know, create a safety net, Okay, maybe we need that for some time when we're scared. That's fine. Like I said, that's the center of the playground. That's a safer space. You want to play safe, play there. 
But if you're bored of that safety, you want to get some excitement, move to the edges of the playground, there's plenty of danger there. Too much danger, straying your nerves, come on back. It's no need to be a hero. Don't have to be, you know, every day is not your day. Come on back to the center, rest, recuperate, feel safe, hang with friends, get out when you feel like it. But that's not on me. That's on you, man. That's on each one of us, right? And I don't really think we need to depend on someone else all the time. When we need it, yes, reach out, ask for help. When we don't, don't feel the need to be molly cuddled and protected. And, you know, it, it becomes an ad habit. It, it becomes an addiction in itself. Religion becomes, you know, opium of the masses. That's another addiction. An amazing message that will hopefully inspire anyone listening to find the playfulness within themselves and to use that as a way to generate more lightness, more good vibes in the world because it's important and necessary based on what we're currently going through as, as a collective. So anyone who's coming across this can use that to be the light, to be a beacon, to be a lighthouse, like you said, on the playground, the most valuable player. And I've really appreciated you sharing this message. I've enjoyed it immensely. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Man, I just want to, you know, I really think that what you're doing is really awesome. So I, I wish each one of us, anyone listening to this, please go out, check out Casey's stuff on Insta, on Twitter, and just try this stuff out, man. Like, don't feel that you need to go through years of practice, hours of training, precise instructions on how to do that stuff. Just go out there, try it. Try the bare minimum viable version of play you can do today, right now, wherever you are. Forget it. Cases spinning on the on the beach doesn't matter. Flip a cartwheel in your room. You can't do a cartwheel, doesn't matter. Just like jump up two feet in the air and bounce back on the ground. But do your minimum viable play right here in less than two minutes without having to go anywhere. This is your playground. This is, you don't need a playmate. You don't need a playground. You don't need a playbook. You have it all right here, right now. Beautiful. Ready? Thank you. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Loved it, man. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah.